Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance, oh sorry, <coughs> 104.4 FM, good start Anna. And this is Art Then and Now with me, your host Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now our theme this week is symbolism and I have an interview with Paul Robinson of Luap Studios about his series The Pink Bear in which his pink bear, literally a pink bear, is used uh, symbolically to explore the challenges um, that we face in the world around us. But before that, I wanted to look at one of my favourite uses of symbolism in art throughout the ages, and that is the memento mori. Now, any of you that have ever studied art history will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say memento mori. And for those of you who have studied Latin, you may also know the symbol that I am referring to. But memento mori, literally translating from the Latin to English as remember that you must die, has threaded itself into the fabric of art since as far back as classical antiquity. Now, the physical representation of the concept of memento mori is pretty much always been a skull and it's usually a human skull as well. It's kind of normally sitting quite precariously on the edge of a table or in a painting or at the corner of an image and you'd be forgiven for thinking that it is just an additional creepy motif in a really old painting (laughs) but it actually does have a meaning though this human skull um, sort of sometimes a feature in a painting but sometimes as I said sat sort of precariously on the edge of somewhere not really part of the image but almost as like a stamp uh, in the corner but um As I talk through the meaning, uh, you can sound really, really smart as well because it's Latin. And also, if you don't always know whether to look for it, you might not see it. So if you're walking around a gallery with friends and family, boyfriends, girlfriends, you can be like, oh, yeah, this is the uh, this is the memento mori skull. And they'll have to do a little bit of looking for it most of the time. And then you can sound so, so smart. I've tried this trick many times. Um, Now, as I said, it may seem at first glance that the skull is kind of morbid, like that almost, oh, hey, you, you're enjoying life. Um, But also, don't forget, you're going to die soon. Um, Actually, it is more a symbol. The skull, when it's used in painting and also, as I'm going to talk about, used across the board in art, it's actually more uplifting than that. And I like to think about it as the sort of historical version of YOLO. And if you're a Manelio, you'll know what I'm talking about. You only live once is what YOLO stands for. Um, It's about enjoying your life whilst you can it's the whole eat drink be merry because death is just around the corner and ironically it's actually more about telling us about life and living than it is actually telling us about uh, death so super super interesting to see this in paintings and what it actually means and, and why it's kind of used as a symbol in Christianity and Christian paintings it's sort of it has a slightly different meaning where it's almost looking as a kind of symbol to heaven and hell and the salvation of one's soul after death almost. So sort of saying live a moral life because, you know, remember that you will be judged in heaven. It's that it's that kind of vibe in, in a Christian in Christian artwork. And it also sort of shows the fleetingness of earthly pleasures such as drinking and you know um kind of having fun music um love it's all it's all kind of saying that be moral because the pro- the real kind of challenge is to get into heaven and just don't forget the kind of wider uh, picture at play there as well so really really interesting there but more generally through time 
skulls or memento mori they've also been used as a kind of a guidance tool as well to sort of remind people of the moral code to live by and especially in funerary art too as well I looked at in the 15th century they were kind I don't know whether you've ever been to an old church or um kind of an old graveyard maybe god this is sounding slightly morbid isn't it but anyway uh it became fashionable to put these memento mori um uh, sort of sculptures almost architectural sculptures on tombs as well and some even went as far to depict decomposing bodies or bones of the deceased uh, on top of the tombs it's not just to as a kind of a literal explanation of what's in the tomb it's also a way of saying you know this is gonna this is you're gonna end up like this too so you know live while you can but interestingly enough ivory trinkets i said it, it can be also a tool that's used as well to sort of teach people about morality Ivory trinkets also featuring skull were com- skulls and things were co- um, sorry were common around the 1400s and 1500s in Europe when ivory was everywhere in Europe and these were again these kind of intricate really really intricate designs were supposed to allow people to really think intently about sort of what is life why are we here and the sort of nature of being reflective I suppose about your own sort of mortality so they were really really detailed they got you to stop and think and I do find that it's slightly ironic though that these ivory trinkets were used to speak about morality you know if we're talking about the kind of ivory trade and and you know we all know that's kind of a nasty business so again kind of ironic but uh also really interesting and also have to remember in the middle ages sudden or inexplicable death was much more commonplace in the middle of ages and so it's sort of a constant reminder of death isn't really that uncommon you're sort of surrounded by it almost um but it's more of an optimistic reminder i would say about living your best life and interestingly enough as well clocks which were used as a symbol alongside the skull in a lot of art to sort of reference this passing of time. I think I've also spoken about on the show as well, vi- vin- oh, sorry, I'm going to say this wrong. Wait, vinitas, it's a Dutch word. Uh, I apologise to anybody Dutch listening, but they're these still life paintings that show the fleeting nature of life and the futilities of pleasure. And they're often still lives with skulls on the tables. There are so many skulls on tables, guys. Type in Dutch art skull on table, so many skulls. Uh, it's a really really common symbolic motif in the 16th and 17th century meaning the sort of same thing remember that your diet is the memento mori but it's also often paired with things like rotting fruit and decay as well uh, as well as sort of books and instruments to show again life's fleeting pleasures enjoy it while you can it's a way of sort of inserting us as human beings into sort of life's wider narrative I would probably say but yeah, really, really interesting. So many modern um, references with, to the Memento Mori as well. It's not just a thing in medieval and Renaissance art, but actually in Mexico, for example, the Day of the Dead, I'm sure you've heard of it, actually just happened on the 2nd of, no- 2nd of November. There's this big, big festival that is a massive celebration of life and a reminder to enjoy your time on Earth. So families gather and they pray for the support of their loved ones in their journey after death as well. And of course... We've got Alexander McQueen as well. His very famous skulls scarf print as well. It's sort of really, really beautiful in its juxtaposition of why Alexander McQueen has used the skull design, his sort of modern day memento mori. It sort of symbolises the fragility and also the power of humans as well. And it's sort of a more, it's sort of traditional, but references old art as well. And it's kind of about, you know, it's, it's that juxtaposition that makes it so powerful as well. And then, of course, we have got Damien Hirst's diamond skull as well a modern day 
hella expensive 14 million pound uh, example of the memento mori as well so there you go a little bit of uh, symbolism in art throughout the ages It is now time for my interview with Paul, artist and founder of Luap Studios. And he talks about the symbolic art series, The Pink Bear, made using photography and paint to explore some quite hard-hitting issues. (laughs) But it's a really, really fantastic interview. Enjoy, Paul. Hi, I'm here with Paul Robinson of Luap Studios. Hi, Paul. Hi, how's it going? It's good. We're sitting in his studio currently um, in Bow Arts. And I was saying to Paul when I arrived that I love doing interviews in studios because you can see just where the creative process happens and how it's made. And this lives up to expectation because it's covered in paint. And I love that. <laughs> Why don't we start with some context? How did you become an artist and create Luap Studio? Um, yes, yeah, so I studied art in Canterbury um, for my degree, but then also studied like photography, pre levels, right. did painting, pre levels, and also design technology. Well, I also did maths and physics as well, but they're kind of... Sure, sure. I, so I couldn't like decide fingers where, in all pies. <laughs> I couldn't decide whether to go down the, the technology and design room. Mm. Um, so nearly went to Loughborough to kind of do product design, but mm-hmm. thought I'd stay in fine art because it felt more open. Mm-hmm. I finished my degree, moved to London, um, and then I felt I needed to find a job. So I needed to find a way of getting money. So. Mm-hmm. I thought, what do I know? I know Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I used it a lot at uni. So got a job as a graphic designer, picked up the yellow pages and basically dialed around until I found somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then whilst I was working as a designer and then creative director, mm-hmm. I also kind of kept my art career alive and ticking oh, forward and moving time. forward. So you describe your work as abstract expressionism infused with explosive energy and bold the bold colour of pop and urban art. I thought that was a great and very poetic way to describe your work. Can you talk a little bit more about um, your style? So I guess the backgrounds of my paintings are quite expressive, so the, the build-ups of colour and texture, similar to what you might find um, like decaying surfaces. So I've always kind of liked, you know, like the ripped posters on the tube or, you know, kind of the decaying tiles you might find somewhere like Portugal yeah, or something yeah. like that. Okay. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, the, the expressiveness of that is kind of used to create the landscapes or the textures or the rooms, whatever mm. the, the subject's in. Uh, you know, okay. similar to like if you look at abstract paintings where there's an energy about them, it's not just mm. kind of a, a direct copy, mm. you kind of... I guess, drawing from spaces that inspire. Totally. So that, that's kind of the surface that I work on. And then mm-hmm. into that, then I start to create these more photographic elements based on, you know, realistic things that I've actually captured and photographed. Mm-hmm. And then the two are kind of merged together. Right. And, okay. I, and I guess the bold colours from the pink bear. Yes. That's the kind of explosion of pop that kind of, yeah. you know, balances it all and brings it all together. Mm-hmm. So I think it's yeah. these merging of worlds and elements that mm-hmm. kind of really make yeah, yeah, the yeah. work stand out. So let's talk about your iconic The Pink Bear series. You describe your teddy bear as being a metaphor, discovery and exploration, and it offers a sort of different viewpoint in expressing um, quite serious issues. So I'll let you kind of launch into to talking about that. So The Pink Bear for me came about when I was suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to create something that was a lot happier um, and create more positive 
influence in my own life. So whilst doing CBT, um, I looked at kind of positive memories and I, I always remember this picture by my mum's bed of um, a day out with the family at Great Yarmouth and we kind of stood there with this giant pink bear, um, <laughs> like the, it was the Care Bears. Yeah. And um, I wanted to kind of take an old memory that was kind of positive and then deconstruct it similar to how when we have dreams they kind of they change or morph or mm -hmm. look quite different but the the thing that really stood out was the the pink so it, I kind of stripped away all the kind of I guess the nicer elements of the Care Bears and created mm -hmm. something that was more ambiguous about how it was feeling but okay. it still kind of represented positivity sure. through the colour and mm. you know the shape um, but it's more of like a, almost like a, a neutral lens for things yeah. rather than... Which means the kind of the viewers left to kind of interpret how they feel about it. I've spoke yeah. to people and, you know, on, on the Instagram stories and kind of asked, mm. um, you know, do you think the bear's happy or sad? And it's like people have actually said how his mood seems to change mm. throughout the day. So it's like if they're at work, he so looks sad. Interesting. And then if they oh look at him God. at home, then he looks happy. It just shows how projecting in our daily lives yeah. though, aren't we? Like projecting how we're feeling as well. Yeah. Um, but I love this idea of you inserting um, a happy memory into a perhaps overwhelming and a negative um, environment. I'd love to talk about some specific examples because I've seen images of your work, um, which are a fusion of photography and painting. So why don't you kind of describe some of the, the pieces that you feel kind of represent that idea best? Um, or is it the whole series? <laughs> I, well, there's, there's all different series that kind of, I guess, represent different emotions. So. Mm. The, the first ones, um, there was a piece called I Heart Daydreaming, mm -hmm. and it's the bear set up a, a tree. Mm. And previous to the bear series, I created tree paintings that were quite sad. Mm -hmm. So it was literally injecting that happiness into what was previously a sad scene. Right. So, okay, yeah. um, or there was a, a project I've done more recent um, called Bedtime Stories, and there's a piece called Human Traffic, where the bear's kind of seen with this girl in a suitcase. And we don't know if the bear's putting her in the suitcase or mm. taking her out. Mm. We're kind of Completely left to ambiguous. interpret that. And um, mm. again, it's like when I displayed that at an exhibition, the reactions to that were quite mixed. So mm. some people kind of, it made them smile because maybe they had a more mischievous side mm -hmm. and they kind of saw it as a bit of play and fun. Yeah, again, projecting. And, and, then, <laughs> and then some people... There was one woman in particular that kind of came right up to me mm. in my face and was like saying this piece really upset me. Really triggered by it. You've really, I feel offended. But she did say, on a positive note though, her, this was one of the only pieces in the exhibition that had actually created an emotion. Right, and it, yeah. And it's like, a response from I think a lot of artwork now is maybe done just to kind of look good on people's walls mm. rather than... You know, art was originally about challenging ideas, or if we think of like religious painting, mm. which a lot of the commissions were for way back, it was yeah. to kind of, you know, say if you do this, then you'll go to hell, if you do this, you'll yeah, go to yeah, heaven. Yeah, it, it was a teaching device, yeah. a, a, a scaremongering device as and well. It, and it's like, <laughs> and it can be the same now with artwork. It can't, you know, maybe some stuff does offend, but it's mm. kind of, 
it triggers a, a thought and a debate. Mm -hmm. So your your kind of idea of art it, that it, it should be provocative or at least I think have it should, elements. Of... I think it should make you think. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess like you know you could look at the work just for kind of being something nice, mm. but then I think. You know, there should be something deeper it to it. It should be an additional yeah. thing. Yeah, fair, fair enough. The thing I kind of really responded to in the work when, when I first saw it was that it is a very unconventional tone to it because you're placing something that feels, uh, you know, a, a bear or a teddy bear. There's a naivety about it, um, but also like a, a childlikeness quality to the bear, which, you know, harks back to what you said about, you know, your childhood memories. I think so. the bear is kind of like a, a relatable figure. You know, mm. we all kind of have... Well, we've all had a childhood, obviously. And, you know, most people had some kind of bear or mm. something. Mm. And I think it helps kind of soften, mm. I guess, our view of more serious topics, mm -hmm. um, which makes it more approachable. There's just issues, like, at the moment, like, you know, global warming and things like that. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's kind of crammed down our throats. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe some yeah. of the more approachable ways of looking at it mm. help it make yeah. it easier. Like one of the, the jobs I did when I was a designer, I was like creative director at Comet Relief for a bit. So mm. it was kind of a lot of their approach to, um, I guess, storytelling is through yeah. humour um, yeah. and kind of making, you know, they still have the, the emotional mm. kind of um, bites of video, but it, mm. but it's kind of tried to tell a story through humour and yeah, kind of yeah. make it more approachable. Yeah, totally. And I'm not saying like my work's humorous, but it's, um, I think it just softens the subjects. Yeah, but there is almost like a juxtaposition which can feel um, uncomfortable, but also um, light-hearted in a way. Mm. Um, there are kind of both things at play, which is why it's quite clever. Um, and, and why kind of I thought it was you know a really interesting idea so how do you choose the subjects you want to talk about I know you have had a personal relationship with some of the things you talk about I think it's um, something that maybe resonates within your mind mm. or you know if you were presented with a lot of stuff in the media every day mm. I think the human trafficking I, was, I guess I was trying to put myself in their mind and kind of mm. what it'd be like I think I watched a film where people were shipped over in Mm. Um, like vans and kind yeah. of... and it stuck with you. Yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. felt like it was something that needed to be discussed. Yeah, um, sure. You've done, you've done some images of climate change and that, in some ways, the bear is a mythological creature to you in the same way that um, you feel like perhaps some wildlife... Like the world is kind of almost mythologising certain animals, you know, as we are ruining our environment. Um, I'd love to talk a bit more about that because I thought that was a really interesting idea about mythology. Yeah, the, there's a series, so it's called I Used to Be a Polar Bear, and it's mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, the pink bear might have been a bear mm. or a polar bear at one point. And, mm. you know, if we destroy these animals over time, mm. so say like in 100 years, people might question whether it even existed. Whether they were real. In, oh and it, it's God. the same, like, That's I was crazy. talking to someone about um, narwhals, mm. which are obviously like, the unicorn of the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was yeah, like, they're... they are still alive. <laughs> I know. But, pe but people were like, <laughs> my friend's got one on the Do they exist? Are they real? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, look, here's a picture. And it's yeah, like, yeah. if something that's actually real mm. almost seems mythological. Yeah, yeah. How? How, like a polar bear or something, if if it does go extinct, mm. like, will people believe it? Totally. It's a really sad, um, quite a powerful um, message there, too.
So what has the response been then for the public? Have they have they given the response that you wanted? Because I know this has been really big in the media. A lot of people have been talking about this series. Um, yeah, I've done a I've done a big piece. Well, it was on plastic, um, so that relates to the environment. So I took the bear to a a recycling centre to do a shoot, um, mm. and basically plonked him in like a massive chunk of plastic bottles sure, which, yeah, what, yeah. which wasn't pleasant i bet it wasn't hard to find a massive thing of plastic bottles either <laughs> yeah but this was like um i don't know imagine like a football pitch filled with plastic bottles oh, like that that's the thing goodness. we don't understand the scale of mm -mm. No, like we, we, all, we always just focus on our own lives mm -hmm. rather than what it's like when it's multiplied yeah. by you know like a population of london big numbers uh, overwhelm us <laughs> yeah and it's like you know, imagine football pictures a day of plastic mm. being used, and then where does that go? And um, yeah, yeah, when I when I saw this plastic, and this was just for a small town, mm. it was just like overwhelming the amount of it. And mm. then, so I photographed the bear in that, and then create this massive piece of the bear wrapped in plastic that's up in Mayfair. So that's mm. um, like on the front of a building. Amazing. Um, but again, it's like that whole these incredibly serious issues. The pink bear is almost. Like, oh, it's a really nice pink bear. And you get that the, the kind of the child in us is like, oh, pink bear. And then also children respond to that too. And then and you think, oh, it's wrapped in plastic. There's, there's a darkness to a really, again, what I said was a very, like a naive and playful image. Um, and the two together work, I think, really nicely to create, you know, that kind of rhythm, the discussion. And, and... there's obviously materials at play as well. So mm. one of the things you learn at, um, you know, art school is mm. kind of, that materials are important and kind of finishes. So, mm -hmm. you know, the plastic is obviously um, an important topic in terms of like the recycling, but mm. it's also some of the work has a slightly sexual nature. So it's almost mm. like fetishizing the plastic sure. as well in the kind of the finish of it. The way we it. have done in our society. So, so it's kind of this, um, you know, there's quite a few things at play when you're creating these images. It's not just kind of mm -hmm. the surface value. There's kind of a lot of other, you know, there's art history, there's kind of totally. social things. And it's all kind of mixed up to create these images mm. that, you know, are kind of relatable but slightly unsettling as yeah, well. Yeah, that's a great word. Unsettling is a really good word. And and you're right, the more you explain your work, the more I think, oh, God, yeah, that relates to that. And, you know, you mentioned deconstructing um the teddy bear, um, or the pink bear from your childhood, in the same way you know you relate that to CBT, in the same way that we deconstruct our own mental thought processes yeah. and, and things like that, and that's also you know there's got an element of that to it as well, which I think is amazing. Like, like some of my work, um, so like was talking about the process. Yes. Um, so there's obviously uh, in my work there's a literal layer in. Yeah. Of different, you know, there's the the abstract, then there's the more photographic, then the photoreal painting. Yeah. And they actually they layer up until it's a complete images. But mm -hmm. then there's like the the metaphysical and the, the stuff in mind. So it layering in, of ideas. But that's layered so. um, in terms of like I take a photo, which mm. is like a current affair, and that's one idea. But then mm. within the pieces, like there's the bear, which kind of is the layering of my childhood, mm. and then there's actually wallpaper patterns, which are again for my childhood home. Mm -hmm within the work so there's there's all these different layers yeah. that are going on within the work what are you hoping that an audience takes away from the work is it just to provoke ideas or are you hoping that it will initiate some change almost better? like um there's a piece i did so i went to new zealand last year this mm. year this year this God, year lucky you new zealand's amazing i've only been once i was very young but <laughs> went for three weeks um traveled all these locations 
took a helicopter for one shoot up in, so that was for the painting behind you. Amazing. Um, took yeah. a helicopter up there, and it was basically this ice sheet within the mountains, and it was like that position between like the, you know, almost like a melting ice cap, and then the bear sure. was like placed within that. Yeah. Um, and, and then I had a piece from that series that, was donated to a charity and it was just one of the photos and sold for like three times what it was worth and wow. that money went to charity. So good. But it, it was quite cool having the bear Christie's kind of up, yeah. up at the front. Like oh, the that actual... was the Christie's piece as well that yeah. sold the auctioneer. Yeah, so, really and then the bear was up at the front with the auctioneer, which was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's really, really cool. Um, wait, so that was, that was a different, that was the same that, place? It was the same place, yeah. Okay. So it was, it was the bear under the, the Milky Way. Yes, I saw that on your website. Is that is that a painting or a photograph? That's a photograph. Okay, right. And that's straight out of the camera. There's no Photoshop as oh well. Oh my goodness, because no light pollution like we mm. have here. So, I, so basically I was using a, a head torch to light the bear up. Oh my goodness. And who, who do you take around with you to dress up in? Um, it, it varies. So sometimes it's friends. Because yeah. um, you take the photographs as well, which I want to make clear. Yeah. Like Paul is not the bear. Some, sometimes I'm the bear. Oh, sometimes he's yeah. the bear. Right. Um, it's kind of each time, you know, it's someone else. Mm. And it's kind of, I think the bear takes on different personas. Mm. And that's kind of what I like about it. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't have it as a secret who's in the bear mm. and I, I don't think it necessarily matters because it's the bear what the bear represents and, I, and sure. what I like is that um you know the bear can almost be each of us and it kind of mm. it's like this blank persona to kind of create on reflect yeah. I yeah. think it's a mirror isn't it almost like it yeah. reflects how we are feeling you said di different people have different opinions of your work based yeah. on their mood and I think and so I think that's so the same with the bear it's like um someone described it as an anti-hero it's kind of mm. you know it's like it's good and can be seen as a bit bad in some yeah, ways yeah. and it's left to interpretation yeah. I think that's kind of like you know you know we as humans have different sides and we mm. you know we strive to be good yeah. but maybe sometimes totally. and we're also morally Absolutely, and we're also consensual in, in things that we know are wrong as well. Um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, but your process, so you go out, you take a gorgeous photograph, and then how does it work? Because you use painting as well, I'd love to know. Um, Sometimes you keep it as a photograph though, right? Sometimes yeah, so, I, so, I have, so I'll go out, so say like when I went to New Zealand, mm. I think I take about between four and 5,000 pictures on a wow. typical trip, um, and they're all shot medium format quality so the they can be printed up to like mm -hmm. the large prints to do a seven foot by five foot wow and they'll still be like razor sharp oh, um that's impressive and then basically from that five thousand i'll kind of whittle it down to about a hundred mm. um and there'll be some like maybe 10 that will just really stand out as you know these are you know clearly shots that'll just stand be photos mm -hmm. And then some what better as paintings. So I, when I kind of pick the images for paintings, it's about looking about elements that can be, I guess, deconstructed into more textural things yes, that work like that work better in paint than they'd work as a photo. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah. there's some bits it, as a photo. It's like why why bother turning that into a painting because it's, it it it's works as itself. Yeah. And I think you know artists that work with different mediums kind of you learn to appreciate the qualities of each medium so mm -hmm. it's like you know painting has a certain quality to it 
photography does, you know, print mm. again, there's something about that. So I think you worked the strengths of the medium Precisely. and then there's a little bit of, I guess, manipulation in between how you mm. can kind of Mm. make something look more like another medium. Absolutely. But you then can be discerning about what you choose to present a subject in, knowing how the medium will kind of yeah. behave. How do you know when a piece of work is finished? Because I know that sounds like a very standard question, but for you it feels appropriate because you have so many layers. So what are you working on at the moment then? Yeah, my next series, it's a continuation of that used to be a polar bear series. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm starting on the six landscape paintings and they're all going to be normally my paintings are quite like really colorful mm -hmm. so the the paint the canvas is kind of covered in color mm -hmm. but this series is going to be a lot lighter and paler so almost like white okay. kind of I guess a bit desolate but not empty um, mm -hmm. is this using the metaphor of the pink bear as well or the, yeah it will be, be the okay. pink bear yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think Pink bears kind I mean, of around. Why change to stay. a good thing? I yeah. like it's uh, the the best one of the best concepts I've I've ever heard. I love it. We've seen you in Christie's. We've seen you in New York, in London, in Berlin. I think as well. Did you do some yep. stuff in Berlin? Um, where can we find you on the internet? Should people want to follow what you're doing, which they absolutely should. Um, so luapstudios.co.uk, mm -hmm. and then my Instagram name is luap. So L U A P. Paul, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. So there you go. That was Paul and isn't, wasn't he an absolute delight to talk to you? Really some interesting concepts that he's talking about there in, in sort of a really light-hearted way. I loved the juxtaposition between that sort of playful pink bear and the really kind of hard-hitting issues he's talking about. He's got an exhibition on the 31st of January at the Underdog Gallery in London Bridge titled Bedtime Stories. So definitely, definitely pop along to that. That is all we have got time for this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons, for any of the images discussed on this week's show or to contact me please visit the facebook site at the art then and now show see you next week at 3 30 on resonance 104.4 fm